Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. Ladies and gentlemen, today I happened upon somebody who's pretty special, and that's what I've been told, Mr. Solis. Okay, we have Danny Solis here. Tell everybody what your passion is. Well, my passion, my lifelong passion is poetry and writing, but uh, really poetry kind of stands at the top. And how do you go about doing that? Well, very simply, I write things on paper and I hope that they're good. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I, I write any time of day. Uh, I wake up and, and make notes, jot notes down. I write while drinking coffee. I write while drinking wine or beer or tea or nothing but water. Just there's a million ways to do it. I don't want to I don't want to ever have a routine or a rut. I want it to always to be something that's open to interpretation and change. And you get to go around the country and perform your work, which is amazing. Yeah, around the country and around the world. And I feel really blessed to be able to say that. Uh, and and like I went to Nepal. I was one of three American poets chosen to go to Kathmandu and other places in Nepal to teach them about poetry slam. And I was humbled just about every day because the poets there were so amazing and so humble and so open and, and you know just loving and respectful but to think that I would get to go to Kathmandu because of poetry that I myself had written and usually performed I perform a lot of my poetry so that's that's one of the one of the tools in my toolbox well the first thing I'm gonna ask you is in a little bit will you perform something for us Yes, I will. Okay. Before, it would be my pleasure. I can't wait. I can't wait. But before we do that, can you first tell everybody what Poetry Slam is? Yes. The Poetry Slam is a competition that started around in the mid-80s in Chicago. It was started by a construction worker named Mark Smith. So what? You have to say that every time you say his name. And uh, um, he started it at a place called the Get Me High Lounge, and it was just supposed to be a goof. It wasn't supposed to be anything serious. They handed out scorecards. The audience, to like three of the audience members, they scored the poets and it was a competition. And the next week, because they had a weekly variety show, the next week they didn't do it and the crowd got mad. And they demanded more Poetry Slam. And so they brought it back and then it just snowballed, rolling down a hill kind of thing. And now it's spread all over the world. There's a, a World Cup of Slam in Paris every year where they get between 24 and 30 teams from all over the world and in Europe. And uh, for the poets who can't perform in French or English, they perform in their native language and they have super titles like the opera behind them on these incredible stages in Paris. And it's also all over Asia. It's in South America and Mexico, in Spain. Um, it, it's everywhere seemingly. And um, I think it's because Mark Smith, so what, uh, never wanted to uh, claim it as his property. 
he wanted it to be something that belonged to everyone, to the community, the, the, the Chicago community, Midwest, U.S., global community. Where did this passion for poetry and writing start for you? Probably when I was still in the womb and my sisters would read out loud and then they would read to me when I was a baby and as a toddler growing up and I was kind of weird. I learned to read and write really, really early and I wrote my first poem when I was five. Uh, so I just kept on going from there. How did you end up, I mean, because just so everybody knows, we're outside of a really cool coffee shop here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, right? Right. We just rolled into town. When I tell you just rolled into town, I think I've taken 15 steps before I met you. Wow. Which was amazing because somebody we're interviewing today pointed you out and said, hey, this guy is somebody you want to talk to. He said, you know, nationally, internationally, he's one of the best with Poetry Slam. And I don't know if you know it, but I was the one who accidentally opened the bathroom door on you just before too, right after that. <laughs> so when I came out, I knew who you were. Because I said, oh, well, which one is he? He said he ran to the restroom. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a really cool town. What brought you to this town? Well, I visited here. I was living in North Carolina, and I came here to visit for the Albuquerque Poetry Festival and was just beguiled. Uh, the poets, almost all of them, seem to genuinely like each other. And they put community before slam and points and competition. And uh, they just really all pulled together, it seemed like, as a team. And even the ones on the periphery were, were welcomed by the ones at the center, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I was just really charmed by that because I had never really seen that. I mean, every place else I'd ever been, uh, there was poetry community, but there were factions and, and they were really clearly drawn lines between groups. And I just always thought that was silly because we're all trying to do the same thing, you know. Yes. But uh, maybe in different ways. But, but still, I mean, at the heart of what the art of poetry is, I think, is the same. I think it starts in the same place. So anyway, I visited and, uh, and then an ex of mine moved here. And, uh, and I really wanted to get back together with her. And so I, I moved here from North Carolina and we did get back together for a year and then boom nothing because people always want to know they're like well what happened with the ex that's what happened it was great we're still buddies right. on Facebook you know but uh, but um, I just uh, moved here and I, I liked it here and I, I, I made a home here and you know um, my son was born here I got married here and uh, and now I live in Rochester Minnesota but I'll always have ties to Albuquerque and to and to all of New Mexico, um, you know, I was I was at the zoo this morning, and I was walking around and I was just looking at things and thinking about New Mexico. And on my way to the zoo, there was a Virgen de Guadalupe that was painted on the side of a building that looked like it was abandoned, like someone had just stenciled her up on the building. And I just thought of the words Nuevo México Profundo, how profound is New Mexico? And, um, and it has so many different elements, so many cultures and so much history and natural beauty and, and things that will surprise you, you know, like hot springs, beautiful hot springs up in the coniferous forest. And it's the state of enchantment, right? That's what they say, although some people say entrapment. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we actually are headed later towards those hot springs. Oh, great. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get to do a couple of, of fun things here. Um, can you tell us what kind of challenges have you found 
you know, pursuing this passion and keeping it in your life? Well, <clears throat> I don't know that the challenges have really been in poetry so much. I mean, that's a constant challenge to get better, to practice the craft, to learn more about it, to read other poets, to write new kinds of poetry, to invent new kinds of poetry, to work with other artists and other disciplines. Um, but really, the, for me, the, the, you know, some of the, the hard things in life uh, have been emotional, personal things, you know. Um, uh, my father dying, my mother dying, you know, breakups that I've had, um, uh, losing good friends. Uh, um, and I don't mean just they quit being my friend, I mean they're to death. Um, and there were times when I really feel like poetry saved my life. Like when, when everything zeroed down, narrowed down to me sitting at a desk at 1 a.m. with a journal and a pen and, you know, the last, the last drink of red wine, coal trains playing, you know, and, and, and just putting that pen to paper. And if I didn't do that, God knows what I would have done or where I would have been or where I would have went or what I would have become. Because you had so much emotion inside that needed to come out? So many yeah, thoughts yeah. to figure out? Yeah, I tell you, emotions, it was, I was in the bramble. I was in the bramble and the, the poem became kind of like my machete that had cut my way out, you know. Uh, uh, there, was, there, was no, there was no easy path uh, at a lot of points, you know. Some, some less easy than others. You know, some I barely made it, you know, so and, it, and I think it was it was not just writing my own poetry, but reading the poetry of others like, you know, Anne Sexton, Mary Oliver, Charles Bukowski, um, Pablo Neruda, you know, Octavio, Octavio Paz, you know, on and on. I mean, they're uh, I stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you think that you writing your poetry and how many people that can relate to your work and how your poems then can help them. Do you think that might have something to do with why you've had to experience the things you have in life so that you could help others with that? Or Ooh. have you ever thought of that? I don't know, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, it could be, it could be. Um, I think everyone's got a little bit of that. I think that's where, why we're such social animals because it, it, each one of us has something that the other one needs. And sometimes I tell poets, we were talking a minute ago, off camera about the, po the people who write poetry but never read it to anyone. And I've known a lot of people who struggled with that. And they kind of wanted to read it but they were too shy or it was too private. And I've told them, a lot of them, the same thing. There may be someone, one single person in an audience of 300 people, and you read, and 299 people are, oh, that's good, whatever, that was clever. But one person says, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel, and that's exactly what I think, and no one has ever said that back to me the way I think it and feel it and know it. And now I know that there's one other person in the world who feels like me, and I can walk out of this venue, and I can go on with my life. And I think every, every writer has that. What do you think you've learned about yourself through all of this process? That I'm stubborn. <laughs> And I'm lazy, um, and that and that I'm also very uh, loyal and devoted, um, and that and that I'm much more. And I don't want to say this like you know, like you know what? I'm the humblest person in the world. I don't want to say it that way. 
But I realize that I'm more about community than I am about my own self-promotion. And I'm fine with that, you know. Uh, the thing that's been hardest for me to learn, because that was pretty easy for me to learn. The thing that's been difficult for me to learn is not to hold it against other people who are huge self-promoters. Just let them be what they want to be. Let them go do what they want to do. And I'm going to do what I want to do, you know. And, and uh, there have been times when I've been invited to help coach a slam team as a guest coach, you know, I've coached teams, but you know, people are like, oh, you've got experience. Can you come sit in and uh, rehearsal? And I get in a room full of poets and I'm listening to them perform their poems and I'm working with them, critiquing their performance, helping it get better. And there are a few times in my life than, than where I'm happier than doing that. Very few, very few things. My son, be with my son. That makes me happiest of all, you know, but, uh, but to be in a room working with poets on the craft, just it makes me elated you know this all sounds like teaching to me <laughs> teaching with teaching them teaching your son teaching people through your poetry whatever it is you have to communicate something that you have to share yeah I you know I want to share this part of it you hadn't asked me this but I want to I want to add this because at the end of interviews most people go is there anything else you want to add mm -hmm. and I don't know if we're there you can cut all this out or whatever but when I moved to Boston, I discovered the Poetry Slam. I moved there from Dallas to Boston um, for a woman I was head, head over heels in love with and remains to this day one of the loves of my life. Anyway, I discovered the Poetry Slam. I had never even heard of it. And I walked into a club and I saw Patricia Smith performing. And I walked out of that club and said, I quit. I'm no good. I can't do this. By the next morning, I had figured, I can't do what she does, but I can do my own style. So then I started competing. Oh, and I took it so seriously to begin with. I so much wanted to win. I lost every slam I was in for one year straight. Every single slam. I would get close and lose. I would get to the final round and something would happen. I would get to the final round and the other poet would just be better than me. And I, and I would lose. And that was fine. But I didn't give up. And when I said I was stubborn, this is where I learned a lot about tenacity and stubbornness. I didn't give up. I kept slamming for a year and then I started winning. And then I won a Boston City Championship. And then I won another one. And then I won another one. And I wound up winning four city championships in a row and a national championship while I was in Boston as part of that great Boston team. And, you know, I use that as an, as an example. When I talk to kids who say, oh, I can't do this, or I tried this, but I wasn't good at it, so I quit, or whatever it is. And I tell them, look, it's, it's about the effort. You just, you can't give up. You can't give up. I mean, if you do, then they've defeated you. But if you don't, if you don't give up, you're eventually gonna start winning. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And, and so I, I like to tell that story. I didn't, I didn't start off winning championships, not by any means. I started off running into a brick wall pretty much, you know? And I always say to my listeners, you need to envision something for yourself first, like envision it, wear it, see yourself doing it, explore what it would take. So envision, explore, and then execute a plan. And that's such great advice for them to just start, start moving in that direction and don't give up too quickly. Learn, we all have to learn, right? Right, and you have to put the work in. You have to put the work in. I mean, I, I uh, on this past Saturday night was my birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. And, but there was a gentleman that used to sit on this patio 
the winnings patio, which is famous for a lot of hot air and a lot of we're going to solve all the world's problems and this and that. And, and, you know, I've been right there with the best of them. But this cat, David Garcia, used to be a dude who hung out on the patio in winnings. That's, you know, that's, that's what he was. But he was also trying to make films and, and working with his camera and all that stuff. Just now he's got a huge house in Knob Hill, had this enormous, incredible party on Saturday night, um, had, has a long hallway in the house with posters of all the movies he's worked on in the last however many years, several many, many years, and uh, including, you know, uh, uh, Star Wars and the Avengers and all this different stuff. And he makes all these industrial films. And, you know, Cat is making it in the industry. You know, from being a dude hanging out on the patio at Winnings. I was hanging out with him, you know, and now I'm, I'm doing my thing. I, I got to go to Botswana. I got to go to Paris and, you know, all because of poetry. And um, There's talk of Costa Rica and talk of a Eastern European tour and all this kind of thing. So I'm just blessed. I'm so happy for you because, you know, I mean, your intentions are so true and it's so obvious and your love for poetry and the organic way that you go about it. And you are humble and you're appreciative and you just want to share it. And I know as a writer myself that it's just so awesome and re rejuvenating to speak with you today. So I, I have to ask you one writerly question. Yes, Or please. else I would be crucified. Oh, okay. From my friends. We my can't have that now. No, can't have that. But when you're writing, do you find yourself writing with your audience in mind? Or is it purely not not for yourself in a selfish way but do you envision your audience at all when you're writing or is it just really just based on the topic itself and what you need to express that's a great question and i think the audience creeps in there a little bit you know and i think excuse me we can edit that belch out right and uh, but why it was so perfect okay great leave it in but uh and, 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 you know, of course I write for myself. I'd be a liar if I said I didn't. I mean, it, it keeps me alive, like I said. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But I, I go in a, even a different direction, really. I, I Mostly. I try to serve the poem. There are things that need to be written about, and it's bigger than me, you know. And it's bigger, in some ways, it's bigger than the poem. Because how the poem interacts with other people... In whether that's somebody who sits and reads it quietly in a room by themselves to themselves or somebody who hears me do a poem in a crowd of three you know if before an audience of 3,000 people the poem if the poem's not true it, it's not gonna work so so first I have to serve that poem I have to I have to bend a knee and ask the poem what it requires of me what I can do and it's not always a conscious thing that I do but but I've learned over the years how to how to try to put aside my ego you know and if the poem demands that I make an idiot out of myself in the poem or I reveal something ugly about myself that's embarrassing and that I don't want people to know or just simple simply me being the dunce in the poem falling on my ass because that's the truth of of the poem of the experience then that's what I have to do it sounds like you do a lot of listening I try I try I could get better at it that's one thing I don't think that you could you could you could live two hundred years and and you could always get better at listening, you know I think. So so I I'm agree. working on it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, it's the moment. I need to hear this now. Poetry Slam, Danny Solis. It is times like this when I feel the old blood inside stirring, heating the new, 
Mexican, Mexicano, Chicano. I am listening to Los Lobos. Guitarrón and accordion spinning out generations of dignified grief. The soothing and sharpening of sorrow by tequila's wet kiss. Listening to the thrum, pop, and cry of gongas, chepito, talking bells, and the crack, boom, splash of timbales, Santana's guitar, wailing blue fire. And I think about cutting off these long dreads and slicking back whatever is left to look more like my folks want me to. Like my Uncle Joe, the drunken barroom brawler, or like my father, the 60-hour-a-week man, the never-miss-a-beat man, the union man, the ladies' man on weekends, much to the sorrow and heartbreak of my mother. And something inside shifts, churns, slow, moving, like the juice inside the maguey cactus, and I think of my Uncle Jesse, a huge man, full of laughter, bow hunter, and the best dancer in the family. And I think of my mother as a young girl, following her four younger brothers, following the crops from Michigan to Southern California to Texas and back again. And I think of my grandmother, Bruja, Curandera, or both, casting spells and prayers by candlelight, pulling three-year-old me out of near-lethal fever that had baffled every doctor at the hospital. And I think of my grandfather at age 14, in the coal mines of West Texas, pitting 14-year-old muscle and bone and tendon and pickaxe against bowie knife and sledgehammer-wielding bullies and winning. And a deeper thing takes hold of what I am and being who I am. There is no part of me that is not touched, burned, stroked, clutched by the heat and the laughter, by the songs and the tears, by all the lives of wildness and self-sacrifice by all the lives of muscle and wisdom and gamble it took to come here, right here. The old blood and songs mixing with, igniting the new, incandescent, unmistakably bladed and branded, simmered and shimmering, Mexican, Mexicano, Chicano. That was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you for speaking with us today, really. It was amazing, and thank you so much to Joshua for allowing this moment for us. It was just gorgeous, really. Well, no, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I had um, no idea when I woke up this morning I'd be speaking with you, and when you were at the zoo, I'm sure you didn't expect this. I didn't know, but you know, my timing's been great all day, knock, knock on wood. You know, can I do three haiku for you? I just, Absolutely. Now, now you got me going, right? Yes. Pandora's box. Do it. Here, I want to do three short poems for you. Uh, um, one is a senru, which is like a haiku, but any subject matter. And the other two are actual haiku. Okay. So here's the first one. Love may be crazy. That doesn't mean you should love a crazy person. <laughs> and then um, there's this one. This is called Relationship That Ended Way Too Early to Suit Me, haiku number three. Even now, flowers stretch for the sun. They don't care if winter says no. Now I'm going to do one that I wrote for my son. Um, yeah. Small hand grips mine. This lasts only so long. I know. For now, I won't let go. How old is your son? Eight. He's going to be nine in September. He'll be quick to tell you. 
<laughs> what advice do you have him about pursuing passions? Um, that uh, tenacity is your friend. You know, it, I think in the end it, it beats talent. And uh, uh, I'm not sure if it beats luck, but it comes close. Just uh, don't give up easily. Don't give up. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm really glad you didn't give up. Seriously. Me too. Seriously, it's just been awesome. And I know just from this brief conversation how many people you're inspiring. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for your time and, and thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Do you have a website or an email address or some way for people to check out your work? Yeah, I mean, if, if people really want my, they want to get some of my work, they can find some recordings, um, I think, is it YouTube or someplace? See, and then it's, I don't even keep up with this. People have, have recorded me and put some of my work here and there, and I don't know. But uh, my email address is real simple. It's eldannysolis at yahoo.com. L. Danny Solis. And Danny Solis is D-A-N-N-Y-S-O-L-I-S. And I'll make sure I include that in the show notes. And I will find a link probably on YouTube to at least one or two of your videos. And so if anybody wants to find that, they can go to MotivateMePodcast.com to the show notes for this episode. And they'll be able to look at your videos because really special. I loved it. Loved thanks, it so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I, thank you again. Thank, thank you. And I, I want to thank the crew. The amazing crew who's here, so professional, and just in the wind and trucks and chairs being slammed around, and y'all didn't even blink. That was great. I loved it. A good crew makes everything possible. I'm a lucky know? girl. Yeah, and Joshua, thank you. It's great to see you, brother. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 States in 90 Days Lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning and I just keep moving along. Oh.